Our New Testament passage today picks up in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, <laughs> there's that word again. Uh, that's what my grandpa always called his congregation. And you know, as I get older, I like that word. I like brothers and sisters because that's what we are. We're family. But I like that word beloved. Loved of God. <laughs> I like that. Beloved, loved of God. Let us love one another. Why? Here's the reason. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. All right, so we have three reasons. One, love is from God. Number two, whoever loves has been born of God. And number three, and knows God. Now, let me just read one more verse here. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this, this makes us face a fact. And we're not going to like this fact. Face a fact. What the world calls love is not love. Ah, because if you truly love, you're born of God. And the unsaved world is not born of God. If you truly love, then you know God, and the world does not know God. So we're, we're facing a fact that what the world calls love is not love. Ah. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. All right, this, this is how the love of God was made manifest. And I always like that word manifest in the Bible. It was shown to us. It was made clear to us. In this, the love of God was made clear, was revealed, was shown to us. That God sent his only son in the world for a purpose. And there's the purpose. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's that great word again, mercy seat. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another, okay? Conclusion. He said, hey, this is my, my conclusion of all of this is here. If God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected or made mature within us. By this, we know. Now, here's another one of those we knows. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. All right, now here's a we know. And then tie this back to John. That beautiful verse on if you abide in him, he abides in you, and you ask what you will and it shall be done. You know, so trace the word abide. All the blessings. Sometimes my pen is just so much fun. Okay, here's the we know. Let's say trace, abide. Or trace really the blessings. Of abide. Just do a word search on it. By this we know we abide in him. All the blessings that come because we abide in him. He said, you know that you abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Then you know that you abide in him. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All right, now, this is Jesus' purpose. Jesus did not come to be a politician. He came to be the Savior of the world. Pastors, we need to remember that. Our job is not politics. Our job is to present the gospel. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is God, and he in God. Okay? So we have come to know. Here's to know again. Whoops. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in his love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, here's this whole concept of abide again, all right? The whole concept of abide again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, let's just park there. If you fear someone, you don't love them. <laughs> See, if, if you truly love somebody, you're not afraid of them. Many years ago, a man walked up to me and said, Pastor Summer, I'm afraid of you. I said, well, then you need to work on your love. He said, well, if you loved me, Pastor, I wouldn't be afraid of you. I said, no, no, if you loved me, you wouldn't be afraid of me. Ah. <laughs> See, we, we get things all mixed up in this world. Perfect love casts out all fear. No fear will be in your heart when you're full of love. No fear of COVID-19. No fear of people. Ah. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. All right, so here's someone who makes a claim. Okay. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Now notice, no one has ever seen God. All right. And we tie that down to here. If you can't love your brother whom you can see, how can you love God whom you cannot see? And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother. Now, notice, this is your Christian family. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Or do you believe that Jesus is Messiah, that he is the Christ? He is the anointed one. And everyone, now notice this phrase, everyone, and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him, or whomever, okay? This is all born again. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, how do you know? Here's another one of those we knows. All right, so here's another we know. And here's another, we know. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So loving God's people, we can know that we love them, not because necessarily how we feel, but how we love God and how we keep obey his commandments. See, sometimes people say, I'm walking in love. 
but they're in the clubs, they're getting drunk, they're womanizing, they're using shabu, you know, they're looking at pornography, they're, they're stealing from their companies. He said, you know, no, okay, you're not walking in love. Four, here's a reason. When you see words like four, that's a reason. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, people always want to talk about the bowels today, you know. But God's bowels, God's commandments, whether they're positive or whether they're negative, they are not burdensome, beloved. It is not a burden to obey his commandments. So you keep his commandments. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. We're not afraid of the world. We overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. How do you overcome the world? Faith. Faith in God. Now notice the context. Believe. Okay? Believe. There are some Christians that take this verse and they, they really start to magnify the power of their faith. And they begin to talk about my faith, my faith, my faith. Well, your faith is not relevant. What is relevant is who your faith is in. I can have faith in this microphone to heal me, but it's not going to heal me. I can have this, oh, I have the greatest faith in the universe in this microphone. And you know what? Nothing's going to happen in my life. But if I have just a tiny mustard seed of faith, just a little tiny bit of faith in this great big God of heavens and earth, miracles happen. Who is it that overcomes the world? Now, here's this constant phrase of overcome the world, overcomes, overcomes the world, overcomes the world, except the ones who believe that Jesus is the son of God. All right, here's again the same truth. Your faith is in Jesus. That's how you overcome the world. Your faith is in Jesus. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship, and then we're going to get into the book of Daniel.
Testament passage today picks up in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Now, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation form a trilogy of some of the greatest prophetic teaching, teaching about the future, teaching about the future events of this earth, the new heavens, the new earth, the rebuilding of the temple, the, the temple during, and really there's going to be two temples ahead. There's going to be a temple rebuilt during the um, Great Tribulation, and then there's going to be the Millennial Temple. And then the new heavens and the new earth. And oh, there's just so much great teaching. Let's pick up in Daniel 9, beginning with verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of 
Asherus, a descended by Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, now, I, I want you just to notice, uh, th there's a truth that you're going to have to see here about Daniel. Daniel had staying power. How many regimes did Daniel go through and still stayed in his positions of leadership? That was because of his incredible competence and ability. See, we always think that when there is a change of leadership, there's going to be a change of all of the people who work someplace, all the top levels of leadership. But Daniel was never changed out. Daniel was never retrenched. Daniel was never retrenched because of his competence. God had given him ability and Daniel used it. Remember the beautiful passage they could find neither uh, corruption nor negligence within him. And you know, some people there's no corruption, but there's a lot of negligence. Okay, they're really nice people, but they're negligent. So in Daniel, there was neither negligence nor corruption. And so he had this incredible staying power that through all the different empires that took over, he's, he's still one of the top guys. In the first year of his reign, now he's gone through another change of power. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. He said, listen, I'll get the 70 years here, so I need to understand this. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas of mercy with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. All right, so how to seek. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. So righteousness belongs to God. But to us, open shame. All right, so there's, there's private shame and there's open shame. As it is to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery, because of the treachery they have committed against you. So, all right, accept responsibility. Now, now, this is a powerful truth that you've got to get a hold of. Repentance always accepts responsibility. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. Now, here's that concept of open shame again. To our kings, our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. <laughs> Notice the things that belong to God. What belongs to God? Righteousness, mercy, and forgiveness. I like that. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws. All right, so how do you obey? You walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured on us because we have sinned against him. All right, so here's the curse. All right, we have been, we are redeemed 
from this curse. Okay? He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated favor. Wow. Of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and obeyed his voice. All right. So how do you entreat favor? You turn from your iniquities and you study the word, gain insight by your truth. So you turn and you gain insight. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works he has done. We have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is this day, we have sinned and done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Now notice, we're praying for the city of Jerusalem. This is important. Your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and all your people have become a byword among all those around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his pleas for mercy for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. So here's the temple. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. I hear, here is a key. You ask for forgiveness. You ask for blessing not because of your righteousness, but because of his great mercy. God was the same in the old covenant as he is in the new covenant. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Hear, forgive, pay attention, act. Do not delay for your own sake. Now here's this for your own sake again. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Wow. So an angel, an angel comes and teaches. Now remember, an angel is a messenger. They are not a source, they're a messenger. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, right, as soon as you began to cry out for mercy, I like that. At the beginning, oh, I like that. I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? The angel said, God has a message for you. You are greatly loved. <laughs> I may not be an angel, beloved, but you are greatly loved. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. God spoke. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, God speaks. And he said, I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. 
Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people, your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. These are the he said, 77s, and all of this is done. 70, 70 weeks is 70 times 7, okay? 70 weeks. Know therefore and understand that from going out of the word to restore, going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. All right, now, the rebuilding, the, the command to rebuild Jerusalem, not, not the temple, but the command to rebuild Jerusalem is. That is under Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes gave that command. Let me give the date exactly here. Artaxerxes gave that command on the first day of Nisan, 445 BC. All right, so Artaxerxes gave them command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in 445 BC. And you find that in Nehemiah 2. Verses 1 to 8. To the coming of the anointed one. This is Jesus. There will be 62 weeks. Now, this entire period from Nisan 445 until the coming of Jesus is exactly 1,000 Seven hundred. I'm sorry, one hundred and seventy-three thousand eight hundred and eighty days. Now, using the prophetic calendar of three hundred and sixty days, Jesus entering to Jerusalem, riding on a colt, fulfilled this prophecy to the exact day. He said, then for 62 weeks, it should be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. All right. After the 62 weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Okay, after 62 weeks, so after 62 periods of seven. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and a sanctuary, and it shall come to, and an end shall come with a flood, and to an end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a covenant with many for one week. All right, so we have one week. That's seven, okay? That is Daniel's, Daniel's 69th week, okay? Daniel's 69th week, the 69th week. This is the tribulation, okay? Now, notice there's going to be a rebuilding of the temple. There's going to be wars, and then, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. This is the Antichrist. He is the Antichrist. And for half the week, he shall put, and for half a week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So mid, mid-trib, right in the middle of the tribulation, sacrifice will be cut off. And on the wing of the abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is poured out on the desolated. 
All right, so we have a tribulation. We have 69 weeks. We have 62 weeks. Now we have a 70th week, Daniel's 69th week, and then we are at 70 weeks. Now, in this 69th week, there's going to be a midpoint. In that midpoint, that is when we are going to see the worst of the tribulation begin. Now, the first three and a half years are already really bad. But in that midpoint, this is when the Antichrist sets up his statue in the Temple Mount, and he declares everybody to worship him, and the people of Israel really begin to go through difficult times. Chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. And folks, I'm just glossing over this because we're doing devotions, not studying eschatology, all right? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true. And it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the visions. I, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. And I lifted my eyes and behold, and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like had the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling came upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. No strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Okay, you often hear me called calling something overcome by the presence. Now, this, this is Jesus. Compare this to Revelation 1 and Revelation 2 and 3 the revelation of Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. And behold, a hand touched me and set me on my hands and knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Can you just wrap your brain around that for a little bit? God doesn't mind telling you that you're greatly loved. It is not a thing of pride. It is not spiritual pride. It's, It's a great comfort to our hearts. O man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. When he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand. Now, beloved, please, you, you gotta, you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words, I should do that in red. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, beloved, what gets your words heard in heaven? Why are your words heard? You set your heart to understand, and you humbled yourself. You know, there are so many Christians, they live with such shallow spiritual lives. Because of a lack of humility, you know, it's like I heard a person say recently, uh, one of our pastors said, you know, pastor, 
you know, we're, we're supposed to speak out of the rhema. And some people speak out of the meme. They speak out of the, just the little bubbly. At some point, every Christian has got to want to go deeper in God and quit the, I mean, Facebook has been a great tool, but it has also created this shallow facade Christianity. Sometimes I call it Facebook slogan Christianity or Facebook slogan theology. Daniel was not a man like this. Daniel set his heart to understand, and he humbled himself before God. He said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, who was one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now, notice, we have a change We have a change of demonic rulers. These are the kings of Persia. There's a prince of Persia. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. There is conflict in the heavenly realms. And came to make, me un to make you understand what is going to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. I'll say he said no. This is not now. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, the reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For I have no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. And he said, oh, man, greatly loved. <laughs> Fear not. Peace be with you. Fear not. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. All right, so here is Jesus removing a ruling power. This controlled the Medo-Persian Empire, this demon. And Jesus is removing him. And then the prince of Greece, all right? Now here is a new ruling power. You know, in, in the chaos that we're living in right now in this world, I'm wondering if demonic rulers are being removed and new demonic rulers are being put in place. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. He, he does remove the demonic powers that, that raise up these, other, these governments. Something interesting to think about. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Ah, so there is a book of truth. Ah, There is a book of truth. 
There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. I know your prince is the angel over Israel. Now, you need to understand there is an angel that God has assigned to the Philippines, and there are demons that Satan has assigned to the Philippines. And there is this conflict. As for me, in the first year of Darius to meet, I stood up to confirm and to strengthen him. And we stop here. We'll get more into this tomorrow. There is, there's just so much truth. And it's hard not to teach this. It's hard just to, to give you little snippets of thoughts, just to get you studying in the right directions. But devotions is about God changing our hearts, not about studying eschatology as fascinating as it is. You know, the big thing I want you to get out of this today is looking at the pre-incarnate Christ, looking at what happens when God reveals himself to people. We still fall down today. That's why I don't like calling it slain in the spirit. We still fall down today. And I want you to notice, greatly loved. Oh man, greatly loved. Can you just sit there right now in your home and say, I am greatly loved of God. Say that with me. I am greatly loved of God. Say it again. I am greatly loved of God. Because you are.